Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, it's been a while since I've done a news segment, so I wanted to come around and talk about news from around the world. And I mean that somewhat figuratively, talking about the Walt Disney World Resort, and then a little bit literally when I talk about the world, because there's some things happening outside of the Walt Disney World Resort. I know, scary as that is, and strange as it is, right? So we'll get to all of those items in just a moment. Uh, And then at the end, I'm going to talk about uh, how you can help with Autism Speaks. I'll come back and talk about the topic in some detail and give you some ways that you can help. But before I get to the news segment, I wanted to uh, come back and talk about the 20K ride again. Now, I know I did a three-part segment about it that you may have just listened to, and I hope you did. I, I had a lot of fun doing that segment. I wanted to kind of back up a little bit and talk about primarily the last piece where I was talking about how the Fantasyland expansion came about. And what I find interesting about that in particular is that Disney took what I might call, or what some might call, the easy way out, and just came up with something that was sort of themed to something that made a lot of sense, and that's the princesses and making something that's Fantasyland in in its expansion. Rather than getting into an immersive story and uh, really getting into something that was intriguing, the two things that were competing for the space there, originally, uh, really had some intriguing elements to them. And the fact that the Imagineers were taking a lot of time and effort to consider all of the stories that they could put together to make a really interactive and immersive type experience in that area really was kind of interesting. And it kind of shows how Imagineering has taken a little more of a backseat. Walt always used to think about the Imagineers as being like his people that he would have doing all the work. And they were his go-to guys, and he would walk into their offices and tell them he wanted something, and then he'd come back and check on it. Now it's more that park operations and senior management and so forth, those people all have some say in what the Imagineers do. And so in a sense, the world has changed a little bit because it's not quite the same with the Imagineers coming up with the ideas and the creativity. Now, that's partly the nature of you know, the expense of producing some of these things and doing some of the work that happens today and the fact that there's, a, there's more of a corporate structure than just Walt running the company. So I get it, but it's just interesting how times have changed. And that reminds me, I'm going to have to do another podcast on the overall structure of Imagineering and kind of how Imagineering came to be and some of the lineage that goes along with it. I think you'll find the story fascinating. So look for that in a future podcast. And now on with the news. A couple of uh, months ago now, the uh, Small World attraction changed, and it changed in a very subtle way. At the exit area of the Small World attraction, there is now an interactive set of dolls that actually talk to you based on the wristband that you have on. So the My Magic Band is on your wrist, and you've got some information stored on there, such as your name and things like that. And the RFID tag recognizes you as coming through the Small World exit, and the dolls talk back to you and interact with you. So instead of just seeing signs that say, goodbye, sayonara, aloha, whatever... Now the dolls will actually talk to you and interact to a small degree because they have information about you. So they'll call you out by name, or if it's your birthday, they say happy birthday and things like that. Very intriguing piece of technology, and I'll be curious to see where Disney takes it beyond that. And speaking of my magic, there was an interesting article that appeared about a month ago in the Orlando Sentinel. It was written by Jason Garcia. And uh, the title of the article is, After Investing in Wristband Passes, Disney Lobbies to Rewrite the Ticket Law. 
And it reads, Walt Disney World has spent close to a billion dollars developing its MyMagic Plus system, which includes replacing conventional tickets with wireless transmitting wristbands that serve as an all-in-one park passes, room keys, and credit cards. Now Disney wants to make sure those magic bands are protected by Florida law. The giant resort is lobbying the Florida legislature this spring to rewrite the state's ticket laws to cover its new bracelets, which Disney hopes will revolutionize the theme park experience for visitors and become a lucrative new source of souvenirs. The company says that the changes in state law are necessary as ticketing systems advance far beyond the familiar paper passes, both in its theme parks and elsewhere. As technology continues to evolve, theme parks and other venues are able to make ticketing for guests more convenient, said Disney spokesperson Brian uh, Molinas. The bill being considered by the legislature will help Florida keep up with a rapidly changing way guests experience entertainment choices, including our parks. The language is contained in a broader bill that aims to prevent fraudulent sales of theme park passes, which Disney and others say have become a criminal cottage industry in Florida. But some sports fans and activist groups say the measure goes too far and would unfairly impede customers from reselling tickets to football games, concerts, and other events. The legislation, which is HB 1353, would redefine multi-use tickets, a term that includes theme park passes valid for admission to more than one park on more than one day. The definition of such tickets would be expanded beyond the conventional printed media to cover any right designed for admission. It would also make another subtle change as well. Right now, it's illegal to resell or transfer a multi-use theme park pass to someone else after it's been used at least once, but only as long as the phrase such as non-transferable must be used by the same person on all days is printed somewhere on the pass. The bill would flip that. Instead, it would be illegal to resell any such passes unless the ticket or venue owner's website clearly said that the passes may be used by more than one person. The change could help Disney in a couple of ways. Printing such warnings will become more cumbersome as the uh, resort moves away from paper passes to wristbands, and unsightly legalese could undermine the aesthetics of the wristbands, which Disney hopes to turn into collectible souvenirs by selling customizable styles and accessories. Lawmakers have made no secret of their attempts to accommodate Disney's new technology with legislation. It's a testament to Disney's influence in the state capitol, both as one of Florida's biggest economic engines and one of its most generous campaign contributors. We're codifying that if Disney wants to use a wristband, a button, an ID card, or your phone as a ticket, as they currently do, and it's their choice. And more importantly, it's the right to do so, said the bill's sponsor, Representative Dan Raulerson. Uh, he's from Plant City. Uh, during last week, in a presentation to the House Business and Professional Regulations Subcommittee, Disney and others say the fraud-fighting portions of the bill are just as important. The legislation would dramatically increase the penalties for people who fraudulently resell tickets to parks and other entertainment venues. The fine for first-time violations of reselling multi-use park passes would jump from no more than $500 to now to a maximum of $10,000, and repeat violations would become a felony instead of a misdemeanor. Captain L. Rodriguez, who commands the Orange County Sheriff's Sector uh, that covers Disney World, told lawmakers that in a recent investigation, they turned up a convicted drug dealer who had switched to selling phony theme park passes to tourists because the existing penalties for the crime are so lax. He's making more money than he was in his drug years, and he's not facing going to pe federal penitentiary. He's not even facing going to state jail, and frankly, you don't get shot by your opposition when you're selling tickets the way you do in a drug trade, said Rodriguez. Orlando-based SeaWorld Entertainment, Inc., whose parks include SeaWorld, Orlando, and Busch Gardens, Tampa, said they also back tougher penalties. We support the measures that strengthen protections for visitors to Central Florida from fraudulent ticket schemes, said spokeswoman Becca Bides. A spokesman for Universal Orlando said the resort is following the issue but would not comment any further. 
Disney's provisions appear to have drawn widespread support in the legislature, but a coalition of consumer and free market activists is battling hard against it in other parts of the bill. One provision would declare that any ticket to an entertainment event is a type of license rather than personal property that the issuer could revoke for any reason at any time. Another provision would ensure that the entertainment venues, event presenters, and their agents can employ any ticketing methods they choose, which detractors say would include restricted tickets that could not be resold at all or could be resold only through certain outlets. Critics say the language would ultimately lead to even more control for Ticketmaster and its parent, Live Nation Entertainment, Inc., which is also lobbying for the legislation. Consumers want to own the tickets that we buy, and we feel like we should have a choice in the marketplace, said Bill Newton, executive director of the Florida Consumer Action Network. So I find the legislation and Disney's interest in this very interesting, and I'm going to have to do another podcast kind of specifically about how the ticket evolution has come around and how counterfeiting and the resale, resale of tickets has really driven Disney to different lengths on its ticket designs. There was an interesting thing that happened a few weeks ago at Disneyland in California, and that's that the Occupational and Safety Health Administration stepped in and closed several attractions at Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure. The story goes that the California Division of the OSHA delivered seven safety violations to Disneyland related to Space Mountain. And as a result, the resort decided to close the Matterhorn bobsleds and the Soarin' Over California attractions. This resulted because in 2006 there was a cast member who was injured seriously while cleaning the outside of Space Mountain. The findings included things like there was a failure to protect employees from unsafe ladders or a lack of railings that prevented a fall hazard. And they also found some minor problems like fire extinguishers not properly uh, posted in the right places and so forth. So there was a number of violations that they found and warned uh, Disney that they might find them up to $70,000 for each infraction. And they realized that the uh, penalties could reach over $230,000 on Space Mountain alone. Now, OSHA, in its, in its filing, said that Disneyland Resort failed to correct the unsafe work practices of the employees of both Disneyland Resort and HSG, Inc., uh, accessing upper exterior platforms of the Space Mountain to change lighting and perform other maintenance tasks without the protection of guardrails or personal fall protection. During the course of the inspection and prior to the employee at Disneyland Resort, failed to provide guardrails on all open sides of unenclosed, elevated work locations more than 30 inches above the floor, ground, or other working areas of a building, in particular Space Mountain, at the Disneyland Resort. Employees of the Disneyland Resort and HSG, Inc. uh, accessed the upper interior platform of of Space Mountain to perform routine and non-routine maintenance and were not protected by guardrails or other types of protection. Now, Disneyland uh, tried to uh, downplay it as they were just trying to make sure that everything was safe, but it's interesting to me that all three attractions were closed for several days. Uh, while Disney made some changes to each of the attractions to make it safer for the cast members. Now, let me be clear here. None of the guests were ever in danger. This was a cast member problem, and I'm not trying to downplay it at all. But as a guest going to the parks, you think you're safe, and generally speaking, that's true. It's just that in certain areas where cast members had to go to change lighting and do things, they were unprotected and had some problems, uh, had the potential for problems where someone could fall and get hurt. That being the case, they decided to close all three attractions while they went and worked on that to make sure that they didn't get cited and fined for those other attractions as well. It's just unfortunate that during those three or four days, those attractions were all closed as they worked on them. Uh, It makes it difficult when you're a guest to the park, and three of the prime attractions, the prime reasons you go there, were all closed. So uh, Disney has made the corrections, as I understand it, and uh, those attractions have all reopened, but I find it kind of interesting and intriguing that this sort of thing happened. Now, you may ask yourself, in, the, in Disney World, could the same thing happen? 
And the short answer is probably not. OSHA doesn't have the same level of uh, support to be able to go into Florida's theme park, and that's because of the way the Florida legislation set up Disney World as its own monitoring entity. Now, they still have to abide by Florida laws and federal laws in terms of safety, and OSHA can come in and inspect. They just don't have the same rights to cite them and shut them down the way that they can in Disneyland. This is part of what Walt got when he was able to get the Florida legislature to agree to let him kind of self-monitor. So that's what you get. Now, that's not to say that it's any safer or less safe at Disney World for the cast members. There are certain things that are unsafe, but Disney does a pretty good job of recognizing that and trying to keep after it. So that's just the way it works between the two parks. So it's unfortunate that they had to close it for a while, but that is kind of the way it goes, and uh, I guess we'll be hearing more, I'm sure, over time about how Disney is uh, working more together with the state of California and OSHA to make sure that they don't have these type of violations again. Now, turning back to Disney World, you probably heard that downtown Disney is going to have a makeover. They're going to become the Disney Springs. Now, there was a period of time when they were talking about making it Hyperion Wharf, but that never came to be. There was too many problems with the design and what they were going to do and how much it was going to cost versus the benefit. In this case, what they're doing is they're calling it uh, Disney Springs, and they're going to make a bridge that connects downtown Disney to Saratoga Springs, which makes a lot of sense. It's really just across a waterway there. And they'll be doing some upgrades to the facilities to make this a destination for people if they want to go and have some shopping and dining. Now, a couple of things that they're going to do that I thought really kind of changed the nature of what Downtown Disney or Disney Springs was and what it will be. The first thing is that they're building two parking garages. Now, on the uh, Downtown Disney side, the one that was the marketplace side, there was always a parking concern. There was never enough parking. So they're going to build a small parking garage on that end to accommodate more traffic to come into that side. Now, on the downtown Disney West side, they're going to put a larger parking garage to accommodate a number of cars. Now, parking on that end is never really a problem. If you park down on that end, you can certainly walk back to the downtown Disney area, but most people don't do that for some reason. So they're going to put a larger parking garage on the other end, and they're going to redo the bus terminals. Now, the other thing they're going to do is they're going to work with the interchange of I-4 to have a better exit that feeds you right into downtown Disney. Rather than having to go through Hotel Row and work your way over there, there'll be a route to get directly there. So I find that kind of interesting because they're changing what downtown Disney really is all about, and it becomes Disney Springs. They'll put in more shops and more restaurants and more things and make it a little bit more of a lively entertainment district. I think modeled more after where Pleasure Island was in its early days, where you had these shops and restaurants and so forth, but you had a little more nightlife that was a little bit more fun. I think they're just changing it around a little bit to make it more interesting. But I love the idea of kind of retheming it. I think it has some very high potential, and I'll be curious to see what it looks like once it's done. Now, there have been some maps and some drawings that have been put out there and some proposed changes and things like that, where they'll have a waterfront area to use that, uh, that water area that they have, the lake that they have in the middle, to really make it a little bit more of a central point and a focal point in terms of what they do. So I'll be really curious to see how this all comes together. Now, turning over to Disney's Animal Kingdom, there's still a lot of discussion and debate about what's going to happen with Avatar Land. And I think neither side is completely wrong in this. Uh, I think both sides, the one that say the deal is dead and the one that say the deal is very much alive and it's moving forward, I think both are right to a degree. I think there's still a lot of discussion that's going on with James Cameron and some of the things that are happening there. Now, one thing that we do know for sure, the Festival of the Lion King is moving from its current location in Camp Mini Mickey to behind the uh, Tusker House restaurant in Africa. So we'll have a new location that's more appropriate to the theming. Since the Lion King movie takes place in Africa, it makes sense to have the Lion King show in Africa. 
Now, keep in mind that originally the Lion King show was a temporary show they had put in Camp Minnie Mickey. There was some talk that they were going to put a whole other themed land over in that area of Camp Minnie Mickey. And so they had put a temporary Lion King show and a temporary Pocahontas show in that area. At some point, the Pocahontas show fell out of favor and they closed that show. But the Lion King show remained very popular, so they actually enclosed it. It used to be an open-air theater. They actually just put up walls and enclosed it, but they left it primarily the same as it was. By moving it, they're creating a theater that actually is appropriate for it, and they may enhance some of the show elements to make it a little bit more rich in the way that it works. So we'll kind of see how that plays out, but that piece of it I strongly believe will happen, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, what becomes of the space in Camp Manny Mickey, I think is anyone's guess. Does it become Pandora and what James Cameron has in mind for Avatar Land? Perhaps. Uh, Does something else go in there? Maybe. Remember, there are still a lot of things on the table. Nothing ever dies at Disney. Anytime they have a good idea, they try to run with it. But now, by moving the Festival of the Lion King, they have an entire area of a theme park that they can make whatever they want to make it. So they could turn it into something. Let's say they went back and they wanted to create Villains Mountain, or they wanted to create uh, the the, uh, volcano that that I talked about in my last podcast. Or the Beastly Kingdom is another thing that came up and never, never really went anywhere. They could do any of those things in that area, or they could do Avatar Land, or they could do something completely unique that you've never seen before. So anything is possible, and uh, we'll see where it all nets out. I'm kind of curious to see what they actually do with that spot, but now you have an entire part of the park that's going to be not used for very much of anything uh, for the short term. So we'll see where it all goes. And speaking of the Animal Kingdom, Animal Kingdom recently celebrated its 15th anniversary. And remember... <laughs> not a zoo. Now, I'm a bit of a geek, and I was watching a TV show the other day, Modern Family. Funny show. It's on ABC. It's, it's very cute. And I'm watching the show, and they're talking about going to see the Pirates of the Caribbean. And the father on the show is talking about how when his kids were little, and they're 30-somethings, when he used to take them to Disneyland... They, he, would, uh, he always used to laugh about the fact that the women were chasing the men around uh, with you know, frying pans and rolling pins and whatever and chasing them around. And he used to think about his, his ex-wife. And I thought that was kind of funny, except for the fact that I'm such a geek. I noticed that it was factually inaccurate because at the time his kids would have been little, the ride would have still had the pirates chasing the women rather than the other way around. They didn't change that until the mid to late 1970s when they decided to be a little bit more politically correct and had the women chasing the men instead. So when his kids were little, the pirates would have been chasing the women. Hey, I told you, I'm a geek. It's just, it just strikes me as funny when I see something like that or hear something like that that I know better. And I'm like, wait a minute, but that's, that's not quite right. Now, you may have seen pictures of the new Tangled area. It's a Tangled restroom, I guess, uh, over at the, where the Skyway station used to be in Fantasyland. So it's at the end uh, between where the Peter Pan's flight and It's a Small World are. There was a stroller parking there, and up above was like a Swiss chalet where the uh, Skyway used to come in. And now what they've done in that area, in that entire area, is built a Rapunzel uh, area. So it's for Tangled. 
And they have a giant tower, and they have some restrooms, they have some charging stations, and they have some other things going on there where you can kind of take a rest. Now, they haven't put it together yet, but there will be a meet-and-greet area with uh, Rapunzel and Flynn. And uh, that'll be coming soon, so look at, be on the lookout for that. But the area is very clever. It's just weird that it's a bathroom, really. But uh, I think it's kind of neat the way they put it together. And speaking of the changes to Fantasyland, most of them are done. Almost all of them are open. The two things that aren't open yet are the Fantasy Fair, where you're going to have the princess meet-and-greets, and the uh, Seven Dwarves Mine Train. Well, Imagineers put together some information and shared with us both of those, uh, visuals for both of those, and you can find a link to the uh, images and the video on my uh, show notes page if you head over there. The Seven Dwarves Mine Train looks pretty cool, and uh, I think it captures sort of the, the spirit of the idea of having a mountain in that area. And uh, I think it, uh, it's kind of a clever idea, and we'll see how it all works out. I think the video looks kind of cool. Now, something I've noticed more and more of, Disney has been using the monorails to promote some of their movies. And I'm kind of ambivalent about this. I'm, not, I'm torn. Is it good or is it bad? I, I like the fact that the monorails can be wrapped, and I think that's kind of cool. But it takes away from the coolness of the monorail to a degree. I'm a big monorail geek, and I love the monorails. And every time I see them wrapped, I kind of go, yawn. I think it's cool, and it draws attention to whatever movie they're trying to promote. But just kind of strikes me as funny or odd in a way. And I've always kind of felt that way. I always thought the monorails should just be monorails and not be at big, giant billboards that are going around. Now, you may have heard about a change that's uh, happening at the uh, Disney parks in the United States, and uh, that's that the minimum age to enter the park as an individual is 14. Now, why this is important, people, especially in Disneyland, I heard about it occasionally at Disney World, but mostly at Disneyland, uh, people would come by and they would drop their kids off for the day. Now, you may have heard Sam Genoway. He was on a, a podcast with me some time ago talking about his book. He was actually one of the kids that lived in Southern California whose mom would take he and his brother to Disneyland pretty much every day during breaks and summers and things like that. And they would pay the price of admission and go hang out for the day. And I know people who did that in Orlando as well. And it was an interesting thing. I mean, it's kind of free child care sort of. Not free, but very inexpensive child care if the kids can take care of themselves. And I know people did it. And it just strikes me as kind of strange because I never thought about doing it. Certainly my parents never thought about doing it. Might have been kind of cool, but we never really thought about it. But uh, they changed the age now to make sure that the uh, kids are at least 14 years old uh, when they go into the parks by themselves. And on a related note, they changed the rider structure on some of the rides to uh, make sure that the person sitting on the outside is 10 years old at a minimum. So let's say it's a single parent going on with their three kids and they're all under the age of 10 and they don't fit in a row, now you have a problem because one of them, uh, one or two of them won't be able to ride because you've got uh, space constraint and the oldest one has to be 10 years old sitting on the outside. So uh, interesting to see how they play that together. I guess it's really going to be dependent on size rather than age because you can't always tell a 9-year-old from an 11-year-old. So I guess the uh, cast members will have to kind of wing it a little bit. But I just thought that was interesting that they made that very subtle change. You may have heard that uh, at Disney's Hollywood Studios, the Pixar Pals Countdown to Fun, the afternoon staple that they used to run at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, uh, had uh, come to an end. They uh, stopped running it. Now, I saw this parade, thought it was kind of dumb, didn't really like it, uh, didn't really get it. There are some parades that they do really well and some that aren't so good. This was one that was in the aren't-so-good category, so just as well that it's not there right now. So that means that there's currently no parades in Epcot and no parades in the studios. Uh, other than when there's Star Wars weekends, then they do a, a parade. So you still have the uh, Mickey's Jam and Jungle Parade over at the Animal Kingdom, and of course the Main Street Electrical Parade at the Magic Kingdom. Now the Celebrate a Dream Come True Parade will continue through early 2014, but at some point in, in the early part of next year, 
they're going to replace that with a festival of fantasy parade. Um, similar sort of theming, but a new set of music and a little bit different uh, action in what they do. But that look for that to be coming in early 2014 is the daytime parade at the Magic Kingdom. Now, another thing I wanted to share. A while ago, they made some changes to the Kilimanjaro safaris to take away the action of uh, Big Red and the whole poacher storyline. And they wanted to have more zebra interaction, and they had the zebras out there on display for uh, the, ca- the guests to see as you come by in the, on the ride. Well, as big a deal as they made out of that, Disney actually made a change to it again recently. Um, the finale that included the zebras on the Kilimanjaro safaris uh, were quietly removed from the attraction. Uh, Disney cited an acclimation issue for the animals, deciding that the new home just wasn't working out. But some insider reports claim the zebras were troublesome and would constantly block the vehicle path or bite each other and attack the vehicle filled with guests. Um, so whatever the reason, they were removed and they were replaced with attics. And that's nice, but, you know, it's just not the same thing. I mean, they had made this big deal about the zebra interaction, and it's just not going to happen that way. Well, Disney had a lot of success last year with its 24 hours on the Leap Day. So they decided that they're going to have another 24-hour day in the Magic Kingdom theme park and Disneyland. And that one is going to be on May 24th of this year. And uh, to kick off the announcement for it, the Disney Imagineers came up with a way to turn Spaceship Earth into a giant mic. Hello, Mike Wazowski here, scare student at Monsters University. And you know my favorite thing about school? vacation and this is going to be one monstrous summer so we got to start by cramming in as much fun as we can by pulling an all-nighter they did this uh, very clever thing with the light show up on spaceship earth so it looked like mike wazowski so come on out to the theme parks and enjoy 24 hours of the magic kingdom and that pretty much wraps up my disney news segment for this time now you may recall that last year i was talking about how I wanted to find a way to get Autism Speaks involved in my podcast and find a way to promote the cause for the greater good. This is the pet cause that I'm interested in. I have a friend who has a son who's autistic, and this is the cause that I thought would make the most sense for me to promote in my podcast. I believe very strongly that you should have a social conscience, and it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to do it. Of course, I have a link on my uh, website that allows you to go over and make a donation, or you can donate your time. But I wanted to make it a little more personal. So that's where I wanted to kind of bring it all back around. And I was listening to a piece of a podcast one night, and it was from something called Funny Business Radio. Now, their guest on the show was somebody who you might recognize as Carl from Up. Good afternoon. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I could help you cross your yard. No. I could help you cross your... Al. Yes, of course, I'm talking about Ed Asner. Now, Ed had a long and stellar and interesting career um, from the Mary Tyler Moore Show to the Lou Grant Show to many other things that he did in Hollywood. Now, how did you get involved in making the movie? They were smart enough to choose me. (laughs) And my agent was smart enough to have me waiting in the wings. I heard you were recognized as a curmudgeon. Is that true? Yeah, where did they get that crap? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's such a lie. I mean, I, I'm jovial. I mean, I'm the Santa Claus you always wanted in your life. And I've played Santa Claus a lot. You are such a lovable curmudgeon in the movie, though. Now, what attracted you to the, to the character? Oh, the, the fact that uh, uh, they paid me to do it. <laughs> that was a very big attraction. Uh, the second attraction was... It was my age. The third attraction was it was Pixar. It was a beautiful story. 
I loved it from the beginning. And the story, of course, is, is, was, the, was the great pull, draw, love. And you said the sweetest thing I've read. The film has something to say about celebrating life. And the union of two souls is always sweeter than the isolation of one. Oh. I said that. You said that. I couldn't, I couldn't improve on that. That's the whole theme, you know. It's the, the connection, the friendship. I mean, as much as we barbarize other people around us, we'd be so miserable without them. And what's your most favorite scene in the movie you've seen? Sitting with Russell, yeah, talking about him, going back, uh, melting. Uh, one of the points where he melts me. That dog is wonderful, isn't he? <laughs> the dog. I love uh, Doug. Doug. Kevin. Uh, the bird. The bird is fantastic. Yeah. And since it's a Disney movie, what do you think is the moral of the story? To not necessarily live in the past, be open to the present, and anticipate the future. And uh, Ed's a pretty interesting guy. Now, Ed also has an interesting connection with autism. He has a son that's autistic. And he has a grandson that's autistic, and he's become sort of the mouthpiece, a spokesman for Autism Speaks, if you will. And he does a number of things to kick off uh, autism awareness. And I wanted to share with you some of the audio from that Funny Business Radio interview. And you can find the full link on my website and go over and, and get that. Well, aut Autism Speaks is certainly everywhere. You know, There are walks all the time. There certainly are opportunities to uh, contribute all the time. There, there are a million ways you can think up your own way of calling attention to the fact that one in 88 kids are going to be doused with autism. Well, it's probably one in 50 boys. Mm -hmm. Well, one in 88 may be a, 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 a totality because boys, of course, are more subject to uh, being autistic. Uh, there was an interesting article in the New York Times yesterday, a very quickie, in the Science Times, saying that um, a higher incidence of uh, autism uh, created by uh, older fathers. So I think that needs to be borne out and investigated more. One well, person. you were an older father. Your son is autistic, and he is how old? He's 25. So do you I think may have that even passed the link on to my firstborn son, who is not autistic, but who has an autistic son himself. What kind of awareness do you hope to raise with people who do not have children who are autistic? Well, first of all, I think with the incidents as it occurs uh, in terms of um, frequency, we're all invariably going to be acquainted, involved uh, with someone, know someone who is, uh, I think that uh, one, of, one of the first primary goals we hoping to do by informing the world at large. Well, I mean, it's all part of the educated procedure of the life we live in. We live in, it used to be 30-second sound bites, and the 30-second sound bite is a, is a thing of the past. We live in 15 second at best. We we um, uh, we have so much to learn. We have so much input pouring in on us from every walk of life, from every status of life. 
that the caring and feeling and uh, solicitude that we have in so many areas of life may well be overridden because of this uh, tsunami of input into our lives. By calling attention generally and widespreadly to all people, hopefully we can keep a little reserve going for solicitude, for care, for feeling that will spring to mind whenever the word autism occurs and they encounter someone with it. And I, I'm not in the trenches. I'm, I'm just a catalyst uh, shooting his mouth off, uh, talking about its importance. And, and as the father and grandfather sure. of two uh, autistic individuals. So now there's a connection to Disney with Autism Speaks, and it's sort of a, an interesting connection. It's not exactly the, the most specific connection you could think of, but I think it kind of ties it together. And you can see how the person who played the character Carl from Up is involved with Autism Speaks, and I think that speaks volumes to me. And it's a good opportunity for you to get involved with Autism Speaks as well. Now, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to look through the Autism Speaks website and find events and opportunities for you to get involved in a Disney sort of way. Now, the first one I found is a 2013 Twilight Zone Tower of Terror 10-miler. It's a 10-mile nighttime run uh, haunted by Disney villains. Autism Speaks is honored to be returning as the race beneficiary for the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror 10-miler. You can sign up on the Autism Speaks website. I'm going to put a link to it in my show notes page. And if you're interested and you want to go on a 10-miler, it's a great opportunity to provide some benefit and have a little fun. So here's where the connection starts to come together for me and how Autism Speaks relates back to what I'm doing on this podcast. So from time to time, I'm going to make announcements about different events that you can participate in that have a, a Disney significance to them. And I remind you that Carl would think it's great. Well, maybe not. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. That wraps up our Disney news and my quick talk about Autism Speaks. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders, you can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 137.